it is really rare to have a psychologist like myself who's fully dedicated to the HTC patient population. I think it's so important to have a mental health um, practitioner involved on the team. There's a lot of research that's come out showing how there's a mind-body connection and how the way that we, we think and we feel and the things that we do impact our medical health. Hello and welcome to the Bloodstream Podcast, a show serving the greater bleeding disorders community made possible by our presenting sponsor, Takeda. Mm. I am your patient advocate and host, Patrick James Lynch. And I am your nonprofit nerd and other host, Amy Bohr. Nonprofit nerd, one of my favorite <laughs> titles that we have. Mm. On today's show, which is streaming live from the Bloodstream Media Headquarters in sunny Los Angeles, California, right here on Facebook, on the Bloodstream Media Facebook page on the internet. On the internet. We feature an interview with <laughs> Thank you for that. Treatment Center Psychologist. You made me laugh. We're on the internet. T- we are. We really are. Who ain't, but we are. Who ain't, but we are. <laughs> uh, we have an interview with HTC clinical psychologist Emily Wheat, mm. who shares with us why exact, what exactly it is that a HTC psychologist does and why that role is so important. Mm-hmm. Emily also serves as the expert contributor on today's Let's Talk Mental Health segment led by Joshua Sterling Bragg and made possible by Sanofi Genzyme. Amy and I will be joined later by community member, social worker, and regular contributor Alex Abreu-Borea to chat a bit about the National Hemophilia Foundation's Virtual Bleeding Disorders Conference, VBDC. (laughs) Nothing I like more than an acronym that adds a letter. (laughs) Uh, Taking place next month, register now for free at hemophilia.org. Free plug event free plug and stick around for the end of the show we welcome back community member and musician max feinstein to share his new song dear anxious and to share a little about how he created the music a little about a little behind the music as it were remember behind the music do you remember the vh1 show behind the music oh i do I do. You know what I recently realized carson daly who wasn't a part of that show but was a part of other shows from my childhood still on television yes he is legitimately just to get still off on track right off television. The we're going to talk a little bit about the Today Show and how Patrick and I might be a little bit Today Showy later. We're going to talk about that, but he's on the Today Show, Carson Daly. Oh, he is. He's on the yes. real one. Yes. Oh, I didn't realize that. And you know what's weird? He was a little like you know what? This is off topic, but he was a little skeevy when he was on MTV. He's yeah. Legit. He's like a family man on the Today Show, like giving legitness. Wow. Interesting. So anyway. I mean, so You're there's a future kind of for all of us, really. There's That's what that teaches me. We all us. have reason for hope. Um, <laughs> so we've got mm. all of that coming up and more. Mm-hmm. Thank you all for listening. And please subscribe to the Bloodstream Podcast if you haven't already on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify or wherever you, dear listener, subscribe to podcasts. You can also share episodes with friends and family and colleagues mm-hmm. or people that you've recently met and want to share random podcasts <laughs> about bleeding mm-hmm. disorders with. And you can stream full episodes directly from the Bloodstream Media Facebook page if that is your preferred mode of consumption. Or on bloodstreammedia.com, which is new. We have a new website. We it's do have fantastic. a new website. Check out the show page. There's an incredible Let's Talk mental health segment page, like just for that segment. And you know, you guys, if you've been with us and watched the segment, they're gorgeous. Not only yes. is it wonderful information, but they're gorgeous. Very beautifully done. So anyway, you can see that. And the new Bloodstream blog. 
we've got it all. We've got it all. We have a new blog. You just wrote a blog. I did. Which I is did. terrific. Let's talk about that Thank and you. all the things. Okay. But we have like other things to talk we about do. before well, the blog. And not all too much more, but we'll talk okay, about great, the great. blog uh, just actually first. I want to let everybody know <laughs> that the Bloodstream Podcast is made possible by our presenting sponsor, Takeda. Takeda. Yes, that's right, Takeda. Takeda, they got a website too. It's bleedingdisorders.com. How about that? They got that one where you can learn all about Takeda's resources <laughs> for and commitment to the bleeding disorders community. Logical thing to have on bleedingdisorders.com. Takeda believes in a world free of bleeds and they're dedicated more than ever in their efforts to offer a wide range of programs and support to help patients throughout their journey, wherever on that journey they may be. You can learn more. You can by simply visiting bleedingdisorders.com. That's all you have to do. One more time, bleedingdisorders.com. And for their founding and ongoing support of the Bloodstream Podcast, I would just like to say, thanks, Takeda. Thank you, Takeda. And I just want to, I, I don't know if you guys caught it, but it made me laugh so hard when he said bleedingdisorders.com. Oh, they got that one. It made me laugh. <laughs> Great. Wonderful. But it like took like a solid 15 seconds and then it made me laugh. Get it? They got it. They got the domain. They did it. They did it. Someone had to, and it was Takeda. Oh my gosh. That made me laugh. Um, so what about the blog did you want to ask about? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. No, the blog was terrific. If you haven't read it, it's wonderful. Thanks. I just wanted to, um, I don't know, ask a little bit about what it was like kind of ruminating on that. I know I know where it came from. I know, you know, sure. from our our very first newsletter, the Bloodstream Media newsletter. Sitting out in the hallway. I thought earlier. It'd be <laughs> a great time we to bring it into the room. It's right out there, everybody. There's it. a beautiful magazine that you can't see right nearby, <laughs> but you can get yours on the website. Links. But Luke Pembroke has this wonderful article and conversation uh, about, you know, experiencing a gene therapy trial, what that means to maybe like not have hemophilia, you know, on the precipice of not experiencing hemophilia all the time. Right. And I'm sure that got your wheels turning a little bit about what it means to be defined by hemophilia. And it was such a fascinating, you know, blog, such a wonderful piece of writing. I just wondered, like, what was it like for you writing that and ruminating about that? Uh well, it was uh, cathartic in a way, but it was, um, you know, it's always interesting the stuff that people resonate with. And mm. I had a lot of people who reached out to say some version of like, I get that and then share their yeah. sort of, you know, version. And that for me is always what's most um, beneficial personally about sharing any of this kind of stuff yeah. is finding the people who are like, hey, me too. Yeah. You know, so I had some phone calls with people who I haven't talked to in a while. Some nice back and forth via email. And there's just a lot of other, and the, and the other thing that's kind of come out of this is remembering that these sort of shifts in identity mm -hmm. are just a part, it's another thing that's just a part of life. Yeah. And if you're a person living with hemophilia or a bleeding disorder, that's part of your identity and the shifts within that are part of your life. But it's not as though, like everybody's always going through some sort of identity shift, it sort right. of seems like, you know? Right. So I guess that kind of context also um, was helpful because working on it, I also, you know, it's easy to get stuck in uh, my own story. But then mm. when other people's stories start coming back and other people's perspectives start coming back, it's a reminder that, oh yeah, we're all going through similar versions of a lot of the same stuff. Right. Do you think professionally you're still, or you are Mr. Hemophilia? <laughs> No, I mean, I'm going to, no, I'm going to reject that title. Good, because I would have. Uh, uh, no, but but do I feel like I have I have kind of a, an odd challenge I've set before myself to yeah. kind of accomplish the kind of, yes, a little bit, you know. I, I see you, and I'll, I'll, I'll say it. Okay. I see you as two. I see you as, you know, um, an advocate 
um, you know, a, a, an outspoken advocate and a member of the visible hemophilia community where you use your voice, where the, the podcast is here. I see that as a component of your life and work. But I think there is another component of work that a lot of people don't see where it's I get to see where it's it's the actual work and taking what we all have learned in the hemophilia community about, and I've said this so many times, other chronic disease communities are, they, they feel different than hemophilia. Hemophilia is a very rare thing. And taking what we have learned with hemophilia in terms of our um, advocacy building, in terms of... Um, our programming, things like that to other communities. I see that as something that you do really well. You're doing more and it just feels more hidden because you, you know, your, your visible personality is very much in the hemophilia world. And my, you know, it's good. helpful to hear that. And it's helpful to hear that because it's easy to, to, to lose, lose sight of some of this again, yeah. you know, sharing opens up the opportunity for other people's perspectives to come forward. And that's part of what makes it scary. Yeah. Right. Cause that's not always like wanted either or right. what could come forward and right. other people's like authentic truths are not necessarily going to feel comfy right. for me, but it, it's always helpful to hear other people's perspectives. I have found if I'm like brave enough to totally. um, be receptive to them. So I appreciate that. And I'm proud of the, I'm proud of this blog. All the shows are going to start having yes. blogs come out. So, um, you know, if you want to hear a, a variety of people's takes on a variety yeah. of subjects, check out the bloodstream yeah. media page and check out our new blog when yeah, you get yeah. a chance. Um, I'm also excited for that interview with Emily, who again Me will be the too. guest in the Let's Talk segment. Me too. That'll be coming up a little, a little bit later, not too much later, a little bit later. <laughs> We're behind schedule a little bit, which I gotta, gotta tell you, has me thrown trying to do quick math about my run of show, and I'm like, I don't know how. Twenty one minus ten. Classic Patrick. Impossible. He like put numbers like this is Cla where we're gonna Classic hit, Patrick and put we're the numbers. not there at all. You know, we're not, but so, and it, I don't think it's our fault. <laughs> it's not anybody's fault. It's just the nature of you prepare for a show and then it just happens the way it happens. Maybe it's but Patrick's fault for the numbers. Maybe I am responsible for numbers is the bottom line. Uh, <laughs> the Bleeding Disorders Conference is coming up next month, Woo! August 25th to the 28th. Mm -hmm. As I said in the intro, you can register now for free at hemophilia.org. Free plug, free event, hemophilia.org. Yeah. For free. Uh, We've got a few programs going on during the BDC, the Teen Impact Awards, of course, on opening night. We've got the Science Fair and the Virtual Exhibit Hall mm -hmm. and the Big Bloody Talent Show, which will be taking place the night before on August 24. And let me plug Teen Impact Awards. Uh, we do a lot, but I'm going to plug this year. Okay. Last year's Virtual Teen Impact Awards was the best part of the year for me. Yes. Dead serious. Oh, thanks. In pandemic weird times, it was such a community feel. And we're all yeah. on our computer. Computers and yeah, the yeah. chat was like alive and kicking. That was cool. And it's just it like I get goosebumps. It feels really good. Anybody who like doesn't have a kid right now, watch it, please, because it just feels mm. really good that our young people in this community are doing good things. And I have to tell you, these teenagers are incredible, and they're doing things that you don't get recognized. You know, I mean, they get recognized for like helping their grandma. We have one kid who like <laughs> helps her 80 year old grandma every day. And it's like really is legit and, right. and stuff that like, anyway, it's wonderful. And please, please check it out. Please check it out. Great plug. All right. Yeah. Teen Impact Awards. It's also very funny this year. <laughs> um, we It is very funny. I, I, I have a Taylor Swift moment, so maybe you should watch it. That's true. What a dream come true. 
Uh, our next episode on August 13th is going to be a full BDC preview. We're working on a, an interview with a number of people from yes. NHF to talk about various things going on during yes. the BDC. Uh, we'll also have a special guest co-host yes. who will remain a mystery at least for a little while longer uh, because my dear friend Amy Board will not be here with us. So Amy, is there anything that you want people to know about uh, given that you won't be here for the preview episode? You've talked about the Teen Impact Awards, We've but I guess is there anything else? We've talked about the Teen else? Impact Awards, but going back to the day, Today Show thing, Patrick and I um, were so excited. Somebody told us that in these lives, we look like we're on a morning show. Yeah. Like they really like the vibe of it. We're on a morning show. It's like we're like Kathy and Hoda <laughs> from the, t the fourth hour of the Today Show. We decided to lean into that. Yeah, we were very positive on that remark. And we're going to do, we're so excited. I think we're we're thinking about we're it. We're working on it. You know, we gotta talk to some people, work out some kinks. Yeah, we haven't like we barely got this the, together. We so haven't we told gotta, the staff. Yeah, no one else knows. So um, but we're gonna do a daily morning show mm -hmm. the week of the BDC, every day of the BDC to like talk about conferences, gossip. I'm just, I don't know. Uh, I don't, anything. I don't, we're going to have time to fill. We're going we're to hit all kinds of topics. It's going to be a hoot and a holler. So anyway, join us the week of the BDC. <laughs> uh, and we'll talk more about what exactly that yes. is going to look like on the 13th. But yes, uh, yes we live will miss with Patrick you on that. and Amy. Live with Patrick and Amy. What could possibly go wrong? <laughs> what could possibly go wrong? <laughs> um, all right, let's move into uh, today's Let's Talk segment. Let's Talk is a partnership between Bloodstream Media and Sanofi Genzyme. And it aims to create an environment where we can have open, honest conversations about mental health and the bleeding disorders community. For people living with or caring for someone with a bleeding disorder, the impact on mental health is largely invisible and not often discussed. Let's Talk shares tips on how to care for your own or someone you love's mental health and strives to eliminate the stigma associated with this discussion within the bleeding disorders community. And now for this week's segment, over to Joshua Sterling Bragg. Oh, sorry, Josh. Joshua Sterling Bragg. My gosh, Bloodstream fam, how are you? I feel like I was sitting here just yesterday doing the June segment. I've started traveling again, just domestically to start, but we've been producing these short documentary pieces for a client, and after a year and a half of not traveling, dang, folks, I feel rusty. After a few weeks of what feels like the equivalent of a sprint, I can't help but thinking that I could sure use a break. And if I'm being honest, that need for a break isn't really because of the past few weeks, but the past year and a half. See, I found myself recently wondering where my personality went. The laid-back dude who could always brush things off and loved flying to the seat of his pants had somehow evaporated during quarantine and left behind an anxiety-ridden shell of a person entirely focused on deadlines, creating more work, and filling every silent moment with some sort of forward momentum. I became a machine whose sole purpose was to be productive, and on days that I was less productive or entirely unproductive, I somehow managed to get through the pandemic with only two or three real hangovers, I would spend the entire time beating myself up for it. Where did the happy-go-lucky, fun-loving adventurer go? And how do I get him back? Let's talk. I got bullied a lot for missing school. By the time I was in fifth grade, we were sitting in art class in this just little turd of a turd head boy sitting across from me was like, I'm shocked you're in fifth grade because you're never at school. So you must be dumb. I was probably 10 or 11, but I'm just like, okay, number one, I'm not dumb. 
but am I? Because as a kid, you know, you're always like, well, what if I am? This is Kira speaking from our Let's Talk Mental Health documentary. After that, I had total school phobia. And it's something like I still struggle with. I hate the question, where have you been? Like going back to school after extended absences, especially once I was diagnosed, um, my periods were so out of control that I would sometimes miss like two weeks of school at a time because that would be how long it would take for them to finally get me to stop bleeding. And even then I never really stopped. Um, but it was like, well, are you even passing? Like, are you even gonna graduate? My bleeding was so bad my freshman year that I did part of first semester, then I had to take a medical withdrawal. Sophomore year, first semester, barely got through it with absences, and then was on homebound my second semester. So essentially I had all of my schoolwork and everything. Somebody came to the house for two hours a day. We worked through some stuff, but then I was basically on my own to teach myself the rest. There's got to be a better way, right? Sure, the school might install a ramp or an elevator to assist people with mobility restrictions, but that is a band-aid on the much larger issue at hand here. What are we doing to support the mental aspects of what people like Kira go through on a daily basis? I was bullied for being different, too. It imprinted in me this hopelessness, this deep, horrible understanding at 13 years old that no one would ever help me in my life, that I just had to endure and try to make my way through it. Well, that wasn't true. I was lucky. My parents did a lot for me and my brother. They were incredible advocates for getting us the respect and the help we deserved as kids who needed extra attention. And there were amazing teachers that heard what they were saying and helped us, looked after us, and nourished us as we grew up and learned to be strong both physically and mentally. But those people are hard to find. And sometimes it takes a lot of time and a lot of help to get there. I was actually at NHF with my mom and she called this one hematologist. We asked if he had treated the conditions that I was, you know, experiencing. So the platelet disorder and the von Willebrand's together. And he did have experience. He had pretty extensive experience with platelet disorders. And he's still my hematologist to this day. He got me back in school. He found a treatment plan. He was just willing to try whatever worked. And so I was able to crunch four years, basically, of high school in three semesters. I just took like an absurd amount of credits, did as many online classes as I could. And I graduated only one semester late. Graduating high school was huge, honestly, too, because I really never thought it would happen. Like, just all the bleeding disorder stuff and that journey that I had to go through. Figuring out school is a challenging journey on the best of days. Figuring out who we are in this world is a whole different ballgame. Life throws us all sorts of curveballs. And as I mentioned in the beginning, COVID has been a much bigger hurdle than I had even realized. I didn't notice myself withering away. It was so gradual. I stopped taking photos. I stopped taking day trips into the woods. I even, embarrassingly enough, stopped walking my dogs for a while. I stopped exercise. I made poor eating decisions, forcing myself headfirst into endless work days that only petered out due to exhaustion. I stopped being funny. I stopped laughing as much. And brewing inside of me was this deep unhappiness that crept back up towards the surface. 
It was only when I started noticing that my conversations with other people, with people that I love, were exclusively becoming venting sessions that I knew that it was time to make a change. It took a lot of courage, and it was really scary. But I listened to the advice of Debbie De La Riva, and I got myself into therapy. It wasn't an easy step to take, but I knew it was one that I had to take. And with the support of my wife and my close friend, I figured out where to look, found a place, and I signed up. I'm hoping by sharing my story, by sharing what's been going on with me the past few months and how I came to this really important and life-changing decision, that someone out there listening might feel the courage to take the uncomfortable but healthy step towards self-care and mental wellness. And if you're that person today, if you're just not sure how or don't know what to do first, well, take a listen to what a clinical psychologist has to say about that. We're here with Emily Wheat, clinical psychologist at the University of Colorado HTC. And Emily, as a clinical psychologist, what preparation, if any, do patients need before they enter therapy or a counseling space? Amy, that's a great question. I think the first thing to know is that there are a lot of different types of therapists with a lot of different treatment orientations. So make sure to do your research um, before you land on the person that you plan to meet with. Do your research to make sure that they feel like they're not only a good fit in the types of interventions that they might provide, but also personality-wise, because you really... um, do some specific work in a therapy setting. And so you want to make sure that the person that you're working with is someone that you that you like just a little bit at least. One way to get that out of the way is some many therapists, many psychologists offer 15-minute free phone consultations where you can sort of talk through your concerns, your thoughts about the therapy process and ask questions. And that should give you a good sense of whether um, this person is the right fit for you. I would say in addition to that, be prepared for the first one, two sessions to answer a lot of questions about yourself, about the things that are not going well, about the things that you want to change. Be prepared to talk about any family history of mental illness and your goals. And then I would say give it at least three sessions or so before making a decision whether you want to discontinue therapy because it can take some time for the the change to really happen. I hope this was helpful and encouraging. Talking can be really healing. Thank you, Emily. And thank you to Amy and Patrick for having me on to talk and explore these topics. You can join me over the next few months as I work my way through our film, Let's Talk Mental Health, and we will talk about the stuff that really pops, the important stuff, the tough stuff. And my promise to you is it'll never get too scary and we'll always have an expert there to help us back out if we dig a little bit too deep. If you want access to some incredible mental health resources, you want to explore the film on your own, or you just want to dig deeper yourself, please go to letstalkmh.com and click resources. And I'll see you guys on the next episode. Thank you, Sanofi Genzyme, for making Let's Talk possible. And as Josh said, he'll be back next month with another segment. He does such a nice job with those, doesn't he? Such a nice job. And it's just nice to have, to just talk about it in in a way that um, doesn't need, I don't know, too much pretension on top of it. It's it's mm. really nice. I, I appreciate how much of himself he brings to that. Me too. If, uh, if you dig those segments, if you missed any of them in the previous episodes or you want to re-experience any of them on the Bloodstream Media website, go to the Bloodstream podcast page and you'll find the Let's Talk button where we have a whole page just of those videos. So you can find the Let's Talk uh, mental health segment page on the Bloodstream Media page, uh, Bloodstream podcast page on bloodstreammedia.com. Bloodstream, bloodstream, Amy. Bloodstream, bloodstream. I told you there's too many bloodstreams <laughs> and nobody took my note. <laughs>
JK. <laughs> uh, so we uh, we mentioned this earlier. We're going to be joined now in just a moment by regular contributor to the show, social worker and community member Alex Abreu-Borea. We uh, are just going to do a little switch here and join her over on this other microphone. Get ready to live, everybody. Okay, so are. Alex. Alex, can Hello. you hear us? Hello? Are we? I speech? can hear you. Can you okay. hear me? We can hear you. We can totally hear you. Yes, it worked. <laughs> it did work. Thank you for your patience as we figured out technical stuff. I know everybody was nervous about this, and I think it was very seamless. It, really it was, was so but, smooth. I wasn't. Yeah. I really was not. I didn't think it was going to be like that, but that's great. But the good Proud news is us. that we're drawing plenty of attention to it. So. Also, we didn't do anything. Thank <laughs> no, you, Greg and Josh and Rob. Good who, job, like, team. Yeah. You sat here very you. well, though. Thank you, as always. <laughs> uh, so the BDC is one of the biggest events of the year. It, by mm -hmm. the numbers, is the largest annual gathering, even here in this virtual space. In fact, I think last year they set like records for attendance because yeah. of the access of yes. in the virtual space. So, Again, it's free, everybody. If you haven't registered, yeah. my goodness, it's free. Just do it. Just free program, free plug, hemophilia.org. So, uh, Alex, we don't have you for too long, so let's jump in. What? For starters, have you how many NHF BDCs have you attended in the past, if any? And uh, if so, what's your experience been like with the conference to date? I think I've been to a couple um, in person. The last one was in Florida. I think that was in like 2016. Um, and sure. I don't know if anyone has come out to say this, but I'm just probably going to be the first one. BDC, especially for young people, is beyond a conference. It's more of like this huge social event where you just get to connect with people who can relate to you and are there for the same reasons. So this kind of conference, it, it kind of creates like this sense of comfort, knowing that for once, for once, right? You're not the odd one when you speak about your bleeding disorder. So you'll like for share sure. an experience or something and you'll hear someone in the back like, yeah, I, I me too. Or you'll hear someone say, wow, really? I, I never experienced that, but I'll keep that in mind. So it's so great. It's so much fun. And I'm also a nerd. So, um, you know, you'll see me in, in the corner, like taking notes intensively. So I can go home and be like, guys, to all my friends, do so you want to talk about like, drug prices? And they're like, no, not right now. <laughs> so it's oh, Alex like, went to a conference this weekend. Huh? There's two yeah, types yeah. of people in our community. There's people that want to talk about drug prices and people that don't. You know what I'm yeah. saying? So that's me. So you get the best of both worlds. You get like the me education too. piece, and then you get to just mingle and just be in community. It's yeah. great. So the uh, the interactive program was just made available in the last week or so. Uh, it's available now. Again, hemophilia.org. You can register. It's free. Free program. Free conference. Free plug. Free. Um, what sessions are you most interested in in this year, and for what reason? There are so many. It's so hard to pick. Um, it's just There's a lot of sessions. You have and to make some so hard much. choices at times. <laughs> back to back to back to back. It's great. It's um, a lot. But I love that there is so much diversity. So there is a lot of sessions focused on just women's health issues. There's some um, sessions focused on culture. So I saw a couple on anti-Asian racism and a lot on Latino and Latinx communities. And I saw um, 
some focus on health equity too. And the one that really spoke to me, it's um, the session is called Race, Racism and Implicit Bias. And it will be led by a group of social workers. Um, so, yeah. so I'm really looking forward to that. But of course, looking forward to the ones in Spanish. Um, yes. Those are the best. And you know, I'm not biased, but we all speak the same language. We, you know, literally because we speak yeah. Spanish, but we yeah. also speak the same culture, which adds a, another layer of comfort. Yes. Um, is there anything that you have learned about the community in this year and in the last 18 months or so that will, you think, influence your experience of this year's BDC in particular? There's been so much in the last year yeah. and a half that this pandemic era has sort of brought about. What's kind of, what comes to mind for you when thinking about this conference? Oh, absolutely. Um, I've learned that our community is really a community. And I feel like we throw that word around um, a lot and we yeah. forget about the true meaning. So yeah. being in community, it means being in fellowship with others. It means sharing knowledge and feeling safe. Um, and I've seen that even in this virtual world, the bullying disorder community has been there for one another. I see community members joining Zoom meetings, which, you know, it's a lot. It's joining a meeting on, on a computer and being on this virtual wor world. But they join because they want to be in community. They want to just be right. with one another and see familiar faces. And knowing that brings like another layer of appreciation and excitement because I know that people are looking forward to just continuing to build that sense of community at BDC. You know, Amy mentioned it earlier, like the, the, the Teen Impact Awards last year, like this year, it was a virtual experience, but the mm -hmm. chat and everybody was so alive that yes. you know, when you brought that back, it like, I remember that so well because yeah. it really was a standout yeah. moment. And in you know a time where that was as close as we could get to each yes. other, yeah. that really yeah. stood out. And so yeah. I'm hopeful that yeah. those community moments will, will come through this yeah. year as well. Absolutely. Even if it's virtual, you can still build that sense of community. Um, and we're all just so connected and we're so close that we miss each other. We miss yes. hugging each other. We miss all of these interactions. So even if it's over Zoom, we're there for it and we're really excited. I've actually thought about the first BDC when we all get to be together. It's going to be nuts. Yes. <laughs> yes. I've already thought about getting goosebumps. I'm thinking about like people, you know, like old, like chapter pals and NHF pals that I haven't oh seen in so gosh. long. Oh, it's just going to be just I can't free. wait. I Hopefully know. I see you there then. Heck yeah. <laughs> uh, and just before we get there and before we let you go, Alex, it, more than anything else, what would you say you are hoping to get out of this year's virtual BDC, the VBDC, as it were, the second and hopefully last the for VBDC? So I don't know if this is something that I hope to get out of, but another plug for the Teen Impact Awards. Okay, you can do that. Year, I mean, honestly, when you think, when I think of the BDC, I automatically think of Teen Impact Awards. Um, so, and this year is completely bilingual in English and Spanish. And there's going to be a little special video highlight on the chapter of Puerto Rico. And I may be saying too much, but I really look forward to that. I look forward to crying because I'm so proud of highlighting the chapter of Puerto Rico and highlighting the amazing youth. And really, I look forward to honoring the so talented youth in our community. 
thank you for everything you did to help bring that to life. And again, that'll take place the opening night of the BDC, which is on August 25th. Hey, Amy, did you know you can register right now for free at hemophilia.org? <laughs> free, it's literally free. <laughs> Nothing's free, it's free. Free conference, free plug for the free conference. Um, Alex, we will certainly hear from you during our BDC streaming days. So we'll look forward to hearing from you again on Bloodstream next month. Thanks yes. as always for joining us. Thank you. She's my fave. She's great. She's really, really great. I feel She's like we also can give her the most, we could give her any topic and she'll come on with like a strong take Crush. and a lot of energy. Be like, Crush garbage it. pails, go. And garbage she'll come on pails. and just kill it. And I, I also love that we both, both Alex and I plugged the Teen Impact Awards, but we plugged different parts. Yes. We didn't even, guys, we didn't even plan Organically, it or talk about I tried it. to steer away, actually. It didn't yep. work at all. Yeah. Um, so real quick, let's, we should get into the interview with Emily because uh, I know we're racing against the clock a bit here. <laughs> but... Um, Help us set it up. We talked about it briefly at the top, mm -hmm. but what what more than anything would you like people kind of going into this thinking about? Well, I think it's kind of a new phenomenon that's been happening over the last, you know, within the last decade that psychologists and, you know, mental health clinicians are being added to the comprehensive care system in hemophilia. And they're being um, added to the team to um, partner with the social work team. So the social work can continue more on resource development and resource connection for patients and all the things you guys know, insurance and all, and all the <laughs> goodies. Um, so having a mental health expert, a part of your clinical care team that you see once a year for comprehensive visit can be a little jarring. And we just wanted to bring Emily in. She works in a HTC. And of course, you know, they're all different, but she works at the Colorado HTC at a University of Colorado, which serves both adults and pediatric patients. So we thought it mm -hmm. would be interesting to talk to her about her experience and um, just kind of offer it as a resource. So we're so excited to have Emily on today. Cool. So enjoy this interview and then we'll be back with uh, Dear Anxious and the interview with Max Feinstein. Here with Emily Wheat. She is an associate professor of clinical psychology at the University of Colorado HTC. Emily, thank you so much for being with us. I personally am so excited. We have our Colorado connection. We're so excited to have you on the podcast. Yay. Thank you for having me, Amy. This is such a pleasure to be here. Absolutely. So you work for uh, the Colorado HTC. Can you tell us a little bit about what you do there? Absolutely. So um, by title, I'm an assistant professor, but um, that may not mean much um, to anyone who's not, um, you know, boots on the ground involved with the work that I'm doing. So I'm um, a clinical psychologist by trade. And so I get to wear a lot of different hats. Uh, I probably about 50% of my work is um, directly with patients. And then I would say the rest of my time is divided in between research, um, developing programs to enhance um, patient education and kind of social supports, and then different administrative tasks related to um, building and maintaining our team. That's great. What is your background? Tell us a little bit about how you came to work in the bleeding disorder community. Absolutely. So, um, goodness, to get to be a psychologist, it takes some years of training. And so um, I, uh, as part of my um, training, there was a, a bit of a research focus and then a bit of a clinical focus. So I um, was really drawn to working with um, populations that had both um, maybe some mental health concerns, but also perhaps an acute or chronic illness. And so um, really honed that part of my training. I had the opportunity to do um, a fellowship um, after completing my degree here at the Children's Hospital in Colorado and was introduced to our HTC here. And I think, you know, the rest was history. I loved this population and was just really excited 
when a psychologist position um, opened up and was glad that they, um, yeah, scooped me up from the, the workforce. You know, um, for those of us that have been in the bleeding disorder community for a long time, we're very aware and very comfortable with a comprehensive care team. Um, However, adding uh, mental health in particular, a clinical psychologist to the team is relatively, it's it's relatively a new thought and a new practice. Um, Why is it so important to have a mental health practitioner in like a comprehensive care team? Yeah, I think that's such a good question. Um, And I would say you're absolutely right, Amy. Historically, um, the mental health practitioner who's been um, involved with the work that's done at HTCs has been the social worker. And I think that the social workers uh, provide phenomenal care and support for patients. It is really rare to have a psychologist like myself who's fully dedicated to the HTC patient population. I think it's so important to have a mental health um, practitioner involved on the team. There's a lot of research that's come out showing how there's a mind-body connection um, and how the way that we, we think and we feel and the things that we do impact our medical health. And so without having someone with that expertise, whether it's, you know, again, a social worker, a psychologist, um, someone else with kind of that psychosocial background, you know, you might be at a bit of a disadvantage when you're trying to work on um, various factors that impact medical health um, directly, but may not, uh, may may be from an internal kind of standpoint, like motivation or um, trust with a team. So I think it's really great to include a mental health practitioner on the, on the team. I agree. I agree. Can you tell me a little bit about what the difference is between what you do and what a social worker might do? Yeah. Amy, that's a big question. <laughs> so I, um, it may just take me a second to kind of break those pieces down. Um, and just to, to check in, we're talking about um, like a psychologist and a social worker. Um, we're going to, we're talking about psychologists and social workers within the HTC setting. Is that, is that correct? Yes, that's correct. I should have clarified. Yes, absolutely. No, that's okay. I asked that because there's actually so many different types of psychologists and social workers that, um, man, I don't want to keep everybody here all day (laughs) Um, kind of parsing those out. But um, for for those in the medical setting, I would say, um, like myself, um, a clinical psychologist tends to get that good background, um, again, in that overlap um, and and Um, interplay between mental and medical health. And they tend to have like a specialty in something like pediatric or health psychology. Um, Likewise, social workers in the medical setting, you might call those a medical social worker. They're going to have some of that same training, um, that overlap between the um, mental health and medical health, how those things go together. And like I mentioned earlier, Gosh, social workers have historically been the ones to really manage the care from not just, you know, a mental health perspective, but really a wide range of needs in our HTCs. And, and currently, they still are the, um, the main players, I would say, at HTCs. But a social worker's expertise is really a lot broader than just mental health. Um, they might focus on not just, you know, uh, you know, need that comes up in, in clinic medical anxiety or, you know, complexity related to adherence to treatment, but they might also focus on um, connecting a patient to concrete resources or building social supports, goodness, and many other things. Where a psychologist might get involved is if there's some sort of diagnostic complexity. So 
you know, maybe we're, we're really concerned that there's a need. It's, it's um, an elevated need, but we're not exactly sure what it is. Um, that can be a time where a psychologist might pop in and um, help parse that out. Another time a psychologist can really offer something clinically is if uh, a patient needs maybe a little bit more follow-up than just um, what's happening in an annual comprehensive clinic visit. Maybe they want to follow up for a few sessions. I know in our center, those patients um, have the option to meet with me, but I also help connect them to mental health resources in the community if I'm not the best fit. And then I would say to psychologists in a medical setting historically have um, a lot of expertise in things like assessment, comprehensive assessment. And so what I mean by that is if you're looking at cognitive factors, so think like IQ, or if you're looking at um, academic achievement, um, the types of things that might lead to a learning disorder diagnosis, um, sometimes, you know, developmental concerns and delays, um, that's really where you can get a psychologist involved to, again, help sort of tease some of these things out. And then, like I mentioned before, to be a psychologist, oof, there's a great research requirement that's often included, which is why you have to um, go through things like writing dissertations or theses um, that maybe no one will ever read. <laughs> and that makes you uniquely situated for um, developing implementing and then evaluating things like um, interventions in these settings. So I would say, you know, in some, some differences definitely are there. There's also some overlap, but I, I would like to say that we can work really well together and do in my center um, to best address a patient need from multiple perspectives. What can a patient kind of expect once they meet with a psychologist in an HTC setting, I, I can imagine maybe some patients will experience some hesitancy, um, you know, going into um, what they might consider quote unquote therapy. They didn't sign up for this. They just went to their comprehensive care visit. Um, tell me a little bit about what patients can expect. Yeah, I, I think you're spot on that sometimes it can be a little surprising to meet with a psychologist. And so I always let a patient know that I'm really just here to support and that um, I might make recommendations, but you make decisions about what you want to do. And um, I'm happy to help connect the dots to kind of get you where you need to go. Um, I think, you know, too, if there is some hesitancy, I found that it's from patients who maybe um, don't have a lot of familiarity with psychology. And so definitely don't take it personally um, if they decide, you know what, I think another resource is going to be um, more supportive for me at that time. That's great. And, you know, in the in the bleeding disorder community, we know that, you know, every if you've seen one HTC, you've seen one HTC. Every everybody is so different. Like the the setups are so different. But in Colorado, it is um, multidisciplinary. So you guys see adult patients and pediatric patients. Do you see both adults and kids? And what is that like? I do. And I'll tell you, it keeps me on my toes. Um, I really love it because in the midst of one week, I might be meeting with someone um, who has a trauma history, um, with someone else who has some anxiety about maybe starting a new medical treatment, and maybe with parents of a kiddo who has some behavior problems around infusions. And I, I, I really love it. It keeps me fresh. Um, it keeps me engaged. And I, you know, I get to do a lot of different, a lot of different things for patients and families. So it's unique and exciting to be able to kind of work with individuals across the lifespan. Mm. 
So do you um, do you find any common mental health or behavior themes in children that have bleeding disorders that you've kind of found and discovered over the years? Absolutely. I um, have found that, you know, not just for kiddos with bleeding disorders, but any kiddo with a with a chronic illness, themes such as worrying about being different, um, learning how to cope and adjust to an illness that maybe you were born with and um, maybe always grew up kind of knowing about, but your understanding of it kind of changes over time. Problems with adherence can come up, you know, like I've been doing this since I was, you know, a baby. I, I don't really want to do these, you know, infusions anymore. And then also um, kind of fear, you know, around or anxiety around different medical aspects of their treatment. But I will say that, um, you know, some some kiddos might have all of those concerns. Some might have, you know, one or two here and there um, as they're growing up. But, you know, some do just fine and are um, really well adjusted from, you know, birth through adolescence. So um, it really just kind of depends on um, the kid and the family and the um, environment that they're growing up in. I so appreciate you answering that question um, with as much depth as you did, because it, you know, I I think when we talk, I, I know at least on the podcast, when we talk about mental health, we talk about, you know, big words, depression, anxiety, you know, suicide, you know, we talk about big things. And to, I don't know, maybe enlighten or, you know, have folks, you know, understand that feeling different, feeling um, less than, having trouble with adherence, with fear and anger. Some of those things are, you know, quote unquote, a, a, a perfect place to have, you know, a conversation with, you know, a psychologist, a mental health professional, someone at your HTC. It doesn't have to be these um, bigger words. It can all be interconnected. And so I just, I just thank you for that. I think that's, I think that's great. And what resources do you offer caretakers? Um, you know, I'm sure you see parents. I'm sure they come through. You know, are you a resource for caretakers? Do you refer? <laughs> yeah, I, I love to work with parents. That's um, one of my favorite things to do. I um, tend to work, you know, a lot with parents of younger kiddos for um, kiddos, I would say, under, you know, 12, 13, typically a parent is the first um, line of intervention from a psychological perspective because they are the ones who are really going to be managing that care, setting up routines, um, encouraging, you know, prizes or rewards or, you know, changes in behavior. So on my end, I um, tend to really offer a lot of parent coaching opportunities where I really sit with and consult with parents on a weekly basis about different things that they might want to do differently to help um, their kiddo with various adjustment or behavior concerns. And one of the things that I do always tell parents is, oh my goodness, you are not the problem but you can be the solution. And here's some things that we can do to help, um, to help make solutions together. So I would say that's one core role that I have with parents. Other times I'm there as um, kind of informal support as parents are sort of understanding and adjusting and coping with a child's illness that maybe um, they expected uh, and have some history, history with from previous family members, or maybe something that you know, they didn't expect and um, are surprised by and sort of trying to figure it out. We spoke a little bit about, you know, seeing one HTC is seeing one HTC. I do know that there are many HTCs across the country that don't have um, a psychologist, a, a 
mental health professional, if you will, um, outside of their social workers, which I'm sure are doing the work. But what are your recommendations to our listeners if they don't have a mental health professional at their HTC? Um, where should they go? What What would be some recommendations? Yeah, that's such a good question. And I think so important to know in general right now, um, following the hills of this pandemic, I think there's definitely a second wave um, related to mental health concerns. And so um, being able to access the help and support you need is really crucial. The first thing that a person could do when they're looking for mental health supports is go to their HTC social worker. I imagine that um, an HTC social worker would not only have amazing tips and tricks for in the moment, but may also have a body of um, resources, um, a network of providers, if you will, that they might be able to um, connect um, a patient with. If uh, that isn't an option or doesn't feel like the best choice, another great uh, resource would be to go to your primary care provider, as that individual, again, should have um, a network of resources that they could recommend a patient to. Last, I would say you can always go to something like Psychology Today. There's a website um, tab called Therapist Finder. And so you can really um, tailor your search for um, a therapist, a psychologist, um, a mental health professional across a variety of disciplines and um, degree types. Um, based on what you're really looking for. And so you could find, um, you know, someone who, gosh, practices a specific type of therapy or specializes in a different, um, a specific type of treatment concern. You could also find someone who takes your insurance if that's important to you. There, you can really tailor that to your approach. And so I, um, I also recommend that. And I do recommend um, if you do that search on psychology today, if you're not able to find a direct word of mouth recommendation, um, I would make sure to look through each of the web pages for the individual providers and try to try to find one that feels like they'd be a good fit for you. Absolutely. I just want to reiterate the importance of finding someone you connect with from whatever avenue that is, how important that is. You know, I think our mental health is truly about finding a safe space in order to dig a little deeper. And so that might take some time to find someone you connect with. But to, you know, maybe that that's a new thought is you can utilize your HTC to, you know, either you know, have a conversation with somebody or to, you know, refer you on. So I just think that's so important. So thank you again for that resource list. And it was also great for us here at Bloodstream. We've been, we have been reiterating those, those types of resources. So we feel like we haven't led you astray. We're excited about that. <laughs> that connection with your um, therapist, mental health provider, counselor, you know, whatever you want to um, term you want to use. I would say that is really important. There's a lot of research that shows that it um, is one of the main predictors when it comes to creating lasting therapeutic change. So if you do happen to do a web page search or discover someone who's been recommended to you, you can um, typically request a 15 minute phone consult with that individual, have, have a talk with them over the phone and kind of suss out whether they're a good fit or not. Um, that might save you some time and maybe even some money instead of going to an initial appointment and realizing, gosh, I just don't think that I can meet with this person <laughs> to make the changes I need to make. So um, I absolutely agree that um, what we call in the biz the therapeutic alliance um, or that therapeutic relationship is um, incredibly important. 
I love that. A, that you use the word the biz, like that makes my day, that you guys do that as well. That's so great. And also, I just think it's it's wonderful. It's wonderful advice. And it's almost like dating, you know? I, I think uh, I, I've, I've experienced it. I know a couple of close friends have experienced it where you get you can kind of get defeated um, after a first meeting with someone that you don't click with. And it's just, it's kind of, it's like dating. It's like really trying to find that connection. So thank you for reiterating that. And I will also thank Emily for reiterating that because it is very important. Well, thank you, Emily, for uh, that interview in yes, general. Of course. Uh, but it is true. You know, she called it that therapeutic alliance, I think, at one yes. point, the relationship between the provider and the patient. There are the studies to support it. It is really true, but like any good relationship doesn't mean it's necessarily easy to find yes. at the start. It's like dating. <laughs> it just I is. Love, I love that you and Emily were like therapeutic alliance. I'm like, it's like dating. <laughs> it's a nightmare out there, y'all. <laughs> no, but I think to take that pressure off that, that my father actually is a counselor. I don't know if I've ever shared that on um, blood Troop, but I, I, I grew up in the environment. He has a private practice and I grew up in an environment that normalized it. And, nice. um, it was difficult for me finding a therapist when I really set out on my own, really trying to find somebody. Um, it took, it took several goes. Sure. And so, you know, it's just very normal. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Well, so thank you for that interview. And, you know, I, I'm curious to talk to more people about how do we standardize having a clinical psychologist yeah. as part of an HTC staff? Because yes. you could argue going forward with the directions that treatments are headed, that is as important a service provider as maybe the physical therapist, yes. like ideally, yes. you know, down the road. So uh, anyway, that'll and be an ongoing conversation. As a resource connector, a mental health resource connector, not thinking about that person as the end all be all, maybe. Correct. But like a resource connector or something that's very important. Yeah. The source yeah. of the source. Oh. <laughs> uh, so thank you for that, Emily. Uh, all right. Last segment on the show today, we have our dear friend, Max Feinstein, who is the musician extraordinaire. His latest song, Dear Anxious, is going to play just to finish up this episode. But first, we have a short interview for him to set it up. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to do the short interview. We'll hear the song. And then, Amy, you haven't heard the song yet, have you? No, I haven't. I can't wait. Then we're going to hear Amy's reactions to the song. So interview song and then Amy's reactions to wrap up the show. There we go. So I saw just recently you were part of a, a Beats music program, I believe, for the, the Coalition for Hemophilia B. So I want to ask you about Dear Anxious and, and your music in general. But uh, can you tell us first, what's the Beats program and what were you doing with the uh, Coalition? So the Coalition for Hemophilia B uh, put together through, the, uh, through the, the machinations of Wayne Cook especially uh, this music program. And uh, it took place in Nashville and we had, uh, you know, people doing presentations, which is uh, something that I was doing. I did a couple myself, uh, but there were also these sort of sectionals. Uh, There's a guitar group, a vocals group, a drum group, and there were more specific sort of long-term stuff. And then, you know, a little recital type uh, performance at the end. Uh, but on the overall, it was just really a great bonding experience over music that I haven't really had since the last time I did a music workshop. 
Nice. Well, that's great to hear. I'm glad you're able to be a part of that. And speaking of uh, conferences and meetings, we have the Bleeding Disorders Conference coming up at the end of August. Amy and I spoke about it earlier on the podcast. Uh, you're going to be amongst the people who will be participating in our various streamings and weighing in on sessions, giving their comments on sessions they attended or things they, um, they uh, were looking forward to hearing about. What are you personally most looking forward to at this year's BDC? I'm looking forward to having deep conversations. Uh, I don't want to go into this having any particular expectation about what I'm going to hear or learn. Uh, I'm more looking forward to the uh, to the aftermath of that when I can really just talk about it with everyone. Now, when you say that, I you know I think about like hanging out in the ho the hallway at the conference, hanging out at the bar or restaurants afterwards. I feel I hear, I think about all those like side conversations. How do you account for that? What you're most looking forward to in a virtual meeting? Well, I feel like it's going to be a little more focused. I feel like a lot of times people use these conventions and conventions in general, conferences, conventions, uh, as a way to. Uh, chew other fat. Uh, you know, it's a way for people to catch up with each other and to bring people up to speed on their personal projects and to socialize. And I feel like a lot of the sidelining happens that way. Uh, what I've gotten to do in this community lately, which has been a lot of fun for me as a musician, is to sort of cross over into the general other side of, of I guess, the, the, the bleeding disorders industry. If I were going to liken this experience, and this is I'm excited because it sort of feels like a Hallmark experience in the same way that lobbying kind of made me feel like D. Snyder a little bit, like the PMRC stuff, to be able to be a musician, getting to speak on complicated medical uh, stuff to, 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 to member, you know, to, to actual politicians. That was a, a humbling thing. In this way, it kind of reminds me I'm a big Megadeth fan, and so I feel like I'm Dave Mustaine at the Democratic National Convention in the 90s. So to be able to participate on this uh, because it's new for me in that way uh, and, and to do so in an official way, that, that's honestly a thrill. So I'm, I'm quite uh, excited to be able to just, just learn and to be able to be a part of a, a very focused conversation on what's going on. I know I'm talking to Max when I have a question about the BDC, and the answer involves a reference to Megadeth. So, really, thank you for uh, thank you for being on brand, Max. I appreciate that. So, I, we're going to leave the live today with one of your songs, "Dear Anxious," and I'm wondering if you can set this song up for us. What is "Dear Anxious" all about? And after people have listened to it, where else can they go to hear more of your music? "Dear Anxious" is honestly about me coming back to the. It's about me uh, reckoning with being away for a while, sort of a prodigal son thing, and uh, coming back as uh, a person of value, someone who has something to offer of himself. Uh, the, there's a line in there, share your world, and I talk a lot about worlds in, in what I've been doing lately, just happenstantially, and the idea of, you know, we talk about sharing our story in this community quite a bit, and... Uh, that can be part of your world. It can be what's on your mind. The idea of being able to come up and to be able to speak and to feel a sense of belonging and, and a sense of value uh, within it. It's sort of, honestly, kind of the song that I've always wanted to write. 
from a from a musical perspective because it reminds me of the stuff that I grew up listening to when I first started playing guitar a lot of like early 2000s when you just couldn't get away from like Incubus or the Chili Peppers so in that way it's a very fond familiar song as well as sort of being on topic with coming back to the community uh, and uh, this is a new thing for me and in, in my music but people can uh, check it out on Spotify just Max Feinstein on Spotify and if people are interested in purchasing things you can find me on Bandcamp, which has a bit more of a comprehensive uh, collection of my work to date as well. Max, thanks for joining us. And listeners, here it is, Dear Anxious. Yeah. <laughs> right? Max! 
Yes. Oh, That's good. Man. We had the lyrics up too, so we, we were following along. We were on the journey full on. This is good. Uh, check Max's stuff out on Spotify. Uh, Max Feinstein at uh, he's a verified yeah. artist on Spotify. Yeah, a verified yeah. artist. Um, so thank you, Max, Alex, Emily. Thank you for joining us on Bloodstream. As well, we'd like to thank Josh Bragg, who leads the Let's Talk segment, letstalkmh.com, to learn more. And shout out to Let's Talk segment sponsor, Sanofi Genzyme. Thanks as well to our presenting sponsor, Takeda, bleedingdisorders.com, that place for wherever on your journey you may be. Thank you, Greg. Thank you, Bloodstream team. Thank you all for listening. That will just about do it for today's show. I know. Hey, check out the program notes in your podcast player on bloodstreammedia.com. .com. For episode page links related to the stories and segments here on today's episode. Once again, if you'd like to connect with us about anything, about segment targets, literally anything. Whatever you want to talk, talk about. about. We're open to anything. We started on Carson Daily today. <laughs> yeah, if you want to talk to us about anything, please um, email, us, email us at mailbag at bloodstreammedia.com or you can connect with us on social media. We're on all the social medias. We are all we're of all, them. We're on the internet right now, so you can find us. <laughs> they all exist. Right here. Look up our we're names. everywhere. Please find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Me or Patrick James Lynch. And uh, I think I might be a LinkedIn convert. It's happening. It's taken, I don't know how many episodes, but we got her. It's a we big deal. Her. Yeah, there was a birthday thing. And anyway, cool people are on LinkedIn. I didn't realize. Well, I tried to use English words and everything. <sighs> Uh, but we're happy to have you in your own time. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we'll be back August 13th with the next episode. Yes. And until then, I am your host, Patrick James Lynch. And I am that other host, Amy Board. We will see you August 13th. I will, she won't. Special guest in this chair. We'll be back doing our Today Show thing uh, for the BDC. And until then, take self-care of yourself. Bye, everybody. Bye-bye, y'all. I follow you. Yeah.